This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Welcome. Right, Chairman Tom, the big question, how's this club jersey coming on? Well, I've actually got some good news, G. (laughs) I know as a chairman, I've sometimes not done everything I could, or I've maybe got other people to do my jobs. But I've got some quite big news, right? First of all, I want to say to all our members, thanks for being patient. I know this has taken a while, and it's taken a lot of work behind the scenes, almost none of it from me. But G, the jersey is nearly with us. Not only is the jersey nearly with us, it's going to be made by Castelli. It's a top-notch gear. Nice. It's going to be a real-life jersey that you can buy, and it's going to be an in-game one on Zwift. So I've got it down to two options, Gene. I know you've got a particular favourite. There's two colour schemes. There's a bluish one, and there's a greyish one. And what I thought we could do, G, is just get our all our GTCC members on our social pages to have a cheeky vote on a poll so that would be at gtcc underscore on twitter at gt cycling club on insta and Garrett thomas cycling club on facebook you've had a little look at it g what do you think yeah quality i'm well happy with it it's been a bit of back and forth um you know with the designers because obviously we we know our stuff about design don't we oh big time i've overruled you quite a few times <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm really happy. Yeah, both both colours look fabulous. Like you say, though, I've got my my favourite. I'm not sure whether I should say though, because it's, it's kind of like that. What's that TV show? Is um, Saturday Kitchen where they do that food heaven and food hell? Yeah, I don't want people voting for my hell, even though it's not hell. It's just not as good as the heaven. But it's two different heavens. It's a slightly better heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one notch down. But uh. Yeah, no, really excited about this. Yeah, looking forward to that coming out. Welcome along to a brand new podcast called 21st Century Football, a complete guide. Well, so far that is. This podcast is all about celebrating the best of the world's most beautiful game, but only if it happened in the 21st century. This series is all about championing the greatest footballers of the last 20 years. Each week we'll have a variety of hosts, including YouTube star Statman Dave Stephen Tries. Got that underwear range. You've got a pair on now, haven't you, Stephen? No, no. I soiled mine this morning. <laughs> and myself, Will Brazier, will also feature radio legend Adam Brown. Find us on your regular podcasting sites, as well as our brand new YouTube channel. Search 21st Century Football. It sound right, boy. The GTCC are delighted to be sponsored by our friends at Amp Human. They're dedicated to helping athletes at all levels achieve their potential, even amateurs like me. Amp's flagship product, PR Lotion, is the world's first and only lotion to deliver the natural electrolyte bicarb to the body. Now, gee, this all sounds quite fancy, but you've been using it for, what, a couple of years now? Does it help? Yeah, definitely. And it's not just any old ad this either you know to try and get a bit of cash in to help produce the pod but i genuinely feel like it does help kind of lather it on wherever you want whatever muscles are working so yeah bang it all over my legs for any hard session or uh, yeah time trial well there's studies as well that show a 50 percent reduction in muscle soreness when using pr lotion and you can benefit too with 25 percent off your next purchase using the code gtcc 
25. That's the letters GTCC and the number 25. Just visit amphuman.com forward slash GTCC and start training with your PR lotion today. Right, Tom. So we've had some big names on this pod so far. Massive names, to be fair. We've had two sirs, Olympic champions, multiple world champions, top psychologists, nutritionists, hopefully a Tour de France winner as well to come. Well, as well as the obvious one (laughs) that we've had in every episode. Um, But we always say we're a club for everyone and we do actually mean it. So, you know, you're on this podcast as my amateur friend for a start. And we don't always want to keep banging on about the pro world now, do we? No, you are absolutely right. So for today's episode, we've gone out and got one of the best amateurs around, partly to keep me company, but partly because they're a proper guest in their own right as well. Yes, indeed, Tom. So she's a BBC breakfast presenter, a GB age group triathlete. Welcome to the pod, Louise Mincham. Oh, my goodness me. I mean, I'm honoured, deeply honoured to be here, guys. And uh, I've been listening to the pod and I love it. It's fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. Thanks for joining. How was my um, introduction there? Not bad, actually. I mean, you know, I can always give you a little bit more tips. You need to be a bit more yourself, a bit more relaxed. You look pretty relaxed, to be honest with you. So Yeah, I'm, I'm lying down in my bed, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. As I said, this is where the magic happens, Lou. So well, the pod, yeah. pod magic. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you've clarified that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard work, actually, since obviously just doing that intro for you then, I, just having a little read, obviously it's pretty easy to remember, really, because I know who you are, but... It's a lot harder being a presenter than a pro athlete is a lot easier, put it that way. Do you think so? I think it's quite a lot harder to ride fast and do my job because lots of people lots of people assume, don't they, that it is just reading out loud, but when you actually try and do it, some people it can be it can be off putting, can't it? Well, yeah. I go back to my English year eight class and just freeze up cold sweats uh, and everything. But yeah. we got there anyway, Tom. Yeah, well done. We got there. We did get there. So, Louise, what's your story? How did you get into cycling? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I am genuinely really um, excited to be on this podcast and sort of, as I say, a little bit embarrassed because I'm very, very late in my life to cycling. I used to be, I mean, I guess I learned to cycle when I was quite young, you know, back in the day and sort of lo- loved it. And I used to, when I lived in London, which is well before I started on BBC Breakfast permanently, I would actually, I was a, I was a commuting cyclist in London. So I had a kind of hybrid bike that that was my big upgrade from my sort of sit up and beg bike that I'd had for years. I bought that in Brick Lane. I remember that bike really well. I had it for millions of years. Um, and then I bought this hybrid, which was like really exciting. And I used to commute to work and I'd go, this, this is like really far for me. <laughs> and I'm, it was six miles, <laughs> which obviously if we talk about the kind of distances you cycle and I cycle now is ridiculous. And I used to, I loved it. I really enjoyed it, but it was quite dangerous cycling in London or, you know, it can be. And I used to only cycle one way. So depending (laughs) on what shift I would do, I would cycle like maybe into work. And then I would put my bike on the train, on the overland train to go home because it was empty and there was nobody on the train. It's (laughs) only six miles. It's pathetic. Well, it's a good start though. Look look how far you've come though. You do you do some crazy stuff now, don't you? I do long distance. I do yeah, I do sort of I do what's called extreme triathlon. So the bike on that is 180 kilometers, which is obviously quite different from just the little 6 miles I used to do. 
So that's Ironman distance then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Ironman distance, but um, the X try is a bit different because it's in extreme environments and it's from point to point. So you don't, you know, like Ironman can go around in a lap, don't they? But we go yeah. these long, amazing distances. So you end up 225k from wherever you start, which is so oh, much more exciting. Fun. Yeah. Which of the two? I know you've done Norseman, which is an absolute brute. What's the one in? Patagonia, right? Because I've been to Patagonia, but I've oh, never, you? but I've never done a race down there. And I, I started reading about it today, Louise, and I just thought, I, you, it, it's almost impossible to square what I read about the race in Patagonia with someone who started doing a six-mile commute. It is, isn't it? So, should I explain to you a little bit about it? Because it's, I mean, I still it fills me with sort of joy thinking about it. So. I went to Patagonia. Have you been to Chilean Patagonia or Argentinian Patagonia? The Chilean part, yeah. Okay, so you have you been to the place where it happens in a place called Coyhaique, which was if you it, gee, if you imagine Chile, it's long, skinny country, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of about a third from the bottom, so right down where all the glaciers are and the mountains and the lakes. Very briefly, when I went, uh, when I was at university, I spent a year living in um, in uh, Chile and Argentina, and I lived in this tiny little town called Coyhaique. And um, I'd done quite a lot of triathlon and I was thinking, what am I going to do? It's a big birthday coming up. What am I going to do next year? And I saw this little tweet saying Patagon Man. And I'm like, hmm, that sounds good. Where is it? I didn't even know what it was. I just saw Patagonia and it was actually in this tiny town where I'd spent sort of six months of my life having an incredible time. I was like, I'm in. And that was before I knew what it was. So in meant um, <laughs> jumping off a ferry in the dark into uh, glacial waters surrounded by these beautiful icy mountains in a fjord where orcas swim. <laughs> okay. And then you swim from the ferry uh, back to land and that's 3.8 kilometres. So that's like a two mile swim more or less. And then you get on your bike and you cycle 180k in these. I mean, I just can't even describe to you the stunning awesomeness of the environment with crashing kind of um, 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 mountain streams beside you and it was absolutely amazing I think there's and you know about climbing I I mean I'm so new to this I still don't even know whether that's a lot it was 2,500 meter climb over 180k which to you is probably nothing is that a lot I don't know no it's definitely a lot for someone who just used to ride six miles yeah sure (laughs) it felt like a lot oh it's two and a half k up vertical oh yes of course it is so yeah very good point so the swimming is awesome and scary and terrifying and I was the last person to jump off the ferry because I was scared and by by the time I they literally they were counting down as I jumped off and then I realized that about people were already about 100 meters in front of me uh, long story short the bike ride was was amazing but I, I'm you know being a bit of an idiot and not very good I've probably never done 180k before that in fact that day we'd mistimed one of the the places where we could have aid stations so you're allowed to give aid at, at only my husband could give me what I you know the food and stuff in two places and the second place was at 130k and we'd messed it up and I thought it was at 120 so I had 10k oh. I don't know what that how that would affect you G yeah it's nothing worse is there it's like yeah in training for instance like even if we're just training as a group and then our coach is like yeah we can have a coffee stop you know after the next climb and you're like oh how far is it oh it's, it's 6k okay cool then you do 6k and you're like there, there's no cap in sight here and then it's only another four or something but yeah it does crack you big time so i can't imagine why you were feeling like then 
Did it? Uh, I'm glad it made, that makes me feel a bit better because then, so yeah, I just, but I didn't know. So I went over the 120K and I was like, it's not here. Where is it? And I didn't know where it was. And there was these rolling hills going up and down on these sort of like, not cobbles, but sort of like bricks. And Chris Hoy had told me, he's like, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're finding it difficult, count. So I had been counting from like up to 50. I was down to one, two. That's what I got to. <laughs> I was like, I've got nowhere to go with this. The thing with Chris, though, he only does 200 metres, so he only yeah, has exactly. to count to 10. Why did you ask Chris? Is the, yeah. I don't know. I should have asked you. You'd have given me much better advice, wouldn't you? Anyway, there was this guy, and we were going up the hills, and I'm so slow going up hills. I promise you, I was. I probably could have walked faster. He would, like, just, just overtake me on the hill. We'd go over the top of the hill, and I'd go shooting past him, and then we'd hit another hill. And then, you know, he'd come faster. Anyway, it went on and on like this. Eventually, we did having, started having conversation, and I was... Bes- I was beside myself and eventually eventually I was like crying inside but then I saw on the top of this crest of this hill all these um they were wearing their fluorescent jackets all the supporters and I knew my husband was there and I went down the hill and I started to cry like a baby (laughs) 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 and by the time I got to him I was like (gasps) he's like and all the people are rushing over going oh my gosh is she injured blah 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 and he just goes no don't worry she'll be right she's had a cup of tea and I was it's fine (laughs) So going back 10k then, when you didn't see your husband, were you blaming him? Were you like, blood, sorry, I don't know his name, but bloody hell, Clive, you were supposed to be here. I told you to be here. Where are you? Bloody idiot. He's called husband Dave by most of my friends. Okay. Uh, husband, husband, no, uh, no I, I, I think I was just like, I, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, I just have to keep going, but can I keep going? And I, you know, everything's hurting that state. Everything's bad. Everything was really, really bad. No, I didn't blame him. It was equally, it was equally both of our fault, actually. Fair play for carrying on, though. Oh. And also, what about the start with this lake with all the orcas? They're, the, they're those massive whales, no? Yeah, killer the, whales. The, the killer whales. Yeah, like, I, like that's just, well, that's crazy in itself, no? Like, I'm not sure if they, they must eat people if they're called killer whales. They can't be like plant eaters, can they, with that name? <laughs> they, they eat other, they eat blue whales, don't they? And enormous whales. They eat seals, don't they? And if you're wearing a wetsuit, Louise, in that, which I'm guessing you were wearing a wetsuit in that freezing cold lake. I was definitely wearing a wetsuit. I think the water was like eight to 10 degrees, but I really got it in my head that, I mean, it was so silly because of course, I'm sure the orcas would just think, I mean, they would hear us jump in and, and swim away. They're obviously, you know, but I was thinking, is it better to be in the pack? Is it better to be at the back of the pack? Is it better to be the front of the pack? Yeah, surely. Yeah. Because don't take this the wrong way, but a load of you swimmers would look like seals, wouldn't you, really, from down beneath? We're all wearing neoprene um, from head to toe. Exactly. Oh. So you would, you'd would think we'd look like... Anyway, it was... Nobody got touched or even saw... I didn't even see an orca. And if I had, I would have swum really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you're an orca. Do you go... Let's see. How many, how many of you were doing this race, Louise? I think there were something like 110 or something. So if you're an orca, G, what's your tactics here? Do you think you just try and... Like you just nip off the strays or do you just think if I go right for the middle of these swimmers, I'm definitely yeah. going to get one? Surely you go in the middle, don't you? You'd all just die for the, the main body of the seals, wouldn't you, though? Because you're thinking I might miss one, but I might get two. So yes, you go in the middle. Hey. So in yeah. fact, I did the right thing by starting at the back. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> or off the front. Oh, it's amazing. And then after the bike, so when you finish the bike, um, you'd love it. So so you, you, there's lots and lots of climbing. And then the last bit of the bike ride is so fast. I mean, mad. And it goes down this snake pass of about, I don't know, like 18 turns on it. Absolutely amazing. And then you get off your bike and you run a marathon. 
Fuck. That's nuts. Lovely. You know, you talk about the scenery, Lou. Like, when you're that tired and stuff, though, like for me in a race, everyone's like, oh, it must, that was amazing views at Alpe d'Huez with all this and that. And I'm like, yeah. mate, I've absolutely no idea. Like, was, it must have been the same for you there. Like, where, 130k, when you're crying your eyes out, I bet you were like, I don't, I don't care about this view, Clive. <laughs> you should have been 10k ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think because you and I come from a very different place in this. <laughs> Actually, uh, the scenery and being part of it is what gets me through it. Okay. Because these are like memories that sit, I can see the pavement. I mean, I, I, I can also see the glaciers and the, and the mountains as well, but they literally sear into my brain. And I just think being part of it and a small part of it and drink it in and breathing it in a way that you really can't is why, one of the reasons why I do it. Yeah. Or to be fair, when we're doing recons or training, normally you get to take it in a lot more. Yeah. Even when it hurts. You're concentrating, unlike I am. (laughs) (laughs) So that is, you'd need some serious gear for a race like that, Louise. But there's also, as you get into cycling, there are certain sort of classic points, aren't there, in your cycling education. And kit is a big part of that. It's the point where you realise for the first time that just cycling in running leggings or shorts isn't quite going to give you the protection you need. There's the point where you make the jump from flats or trainers to cleats. So how was your how was your cycling education? Oh my! It was kind of super fast, I think, because it went from the the hybrid bike, which which when I moved to I moved up to Media City with breakfast, and actually this is kind of like a bonus. It sounds really weird. My bike got nicked literally within the first two weeks of moving up to the northwest. Nothing has been nicked since. I'm not slagging anybody off or anything. Like I love living here and everything, but it got stolen, so I didn't have a bike. And then we did this challenge in the velodrome, and I'd never sat on a racing bike before. I raced in the velodrome, which is ridiculous isn't it and and I literally that that was my kind of um, epiphany moment when I was like oh my gosh cycling is not just for the likes of Geraint you know that I can do this it not in the same way believe me but you know this is hugely hugely exhilarating and enjoy you know just joyful actually so then I bought I, I came off that day and I beat Bill Turnbull which was made my whole by five hundredths of a second Geraint <laughs> <laughs> And that just gave me the spark to go and ride buy myself a road bike. I bought myself a road bike and I had never, you know, I'd never even tried cleats on. I bought everything in one go. I bought the road bike, the road, the proper shoes, uh, helmet. I bought, you know, the proper shorts, everything all in one go. And husband Dave was like, why are you spending all this money? You're never going to be on your bike. He was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That must have been good. That must have been a good day though. Heading to the velodrome then with all your colleagues and stuff. Like when you walk, had you been to a velodrome before? No, I'd watched, you know, all you Olympians whizzing around and I'd never even been in one. And they, they are, they're, uh, they're breathtaking, aren't they? Yeah, most definitely. Like we, we try and tell our listeners to, to get down to a velodrome because it's definitely an experience. Did you go to the top of the, the banking before you rode around it? Or did you I go slid, on the bike first? I slid on it. I like it like really? a slide. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which was also foolish. Steep, yeah, it's like a it's like a child's slide, isn't it? You go straight from the top to the bottom. I uh, yeah, I did that, and uh, gosh, I mean, it's it's exhilarating, but t- I found it it was terrifying, terrifying. And I didn't, re- I mean, I, there's so much I didn't realise about that. I didn't realise that your feet are stuck it. What fixed pedals, isn't it? How do you what do you say? Yeah, so there's no brakes or gears, so it's one fixed gear basically. So if your if your back wheels turning, your pedals are also turning. So. Yeah, and if you try and stop, your your feet still go round, which completely freaked me out. 
the first time I was on one, actually, we were doing a similar thing. You know, you learn to ride it and then you do like a one lap time trial. This was in Mandy, so it was an outdoor velodrome. So the bankings were a lot shallower, like 400 meters or something around 450. Yeah, once I'd finished my lap across the line, I basically just stopped pedaling. And it was like, you know that game, Buckaroo? Yeah. Literally, like the back <laughs> wheel just, yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, that was, was exhilarating. Break my legs. <laughs> but luckily I didn't crash. For a change, I didn't crash. Yeah. We're not allowed to talk about crashes, unfortunately. He's a bit touchy about it. Uh, can I talk about one of my crashes? <laughs> so you talk about the sort of um, the move from, you know, your cycling, all the different levels you do. I mean, for starters, nobody tells you how to, I don't know if they told you, but they didn't tell me how to get off the bike. Yeah. Yeah. So I did this thing. Louise, your producer, Louise, is nodding. So I used to do this thing where I would be so terrified about having my feet in the cleats that I would take both feet out right and sit on the on the seat which is as you can imagine everybody quite painful <laughs> yep so going along with both feet out and then I remember another, another time I'd, I'd sort of mastered getting you know one foot out and then I think getting off and I and I'd done this brilliant ride it was like a, uh, a recce ride for a, a, my first triathlon actually and I came down this hill and I was so excited to manage to keep up with everybody and I break and I was like that was great wasn't it and they looked at me like <laughs> yeah like, you know, being super cool and I wasn't being very cool. And uh, and I just did that whole tortoise thing because I'd forgotten to take my feet out and just in front of everybody just fell over with both <laughs> feet in. So, so embarrassing. I think everyone does that at least once though. I mean, honestly, it was so embarrassing. And then they also didn't say anything. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm not sure I'm over it. Definitely a rite of passage, I think, for every rider. What, what about your other landmarks then, Louise? There's certain stages that we all go through when we get into riding and... You know, sometimes it's your first 50 mile ride or it might be your first three or four hour ride or the ride where you go for a coffee stop. And then you suddenly think, this is a new side to it. I didn't realise you could just stop and eat cake halfway around. Yeah, that's one of the reasons to do it. There's a pass here called, um, I'm sure you've been probably on it, called Horseshoe Pass in Wales, in North Wales. Yeah. Oh, it's a cafe at the top and I dream about <laughs> it. I literally only go and do that ride because at the top, um, it's not about the coffee for me there. It's about the sausage rolls and baked beans. Oh, <laughs> to be fair, I've never had sausage rolls and baked beans on a calf, calf stop, but I might give it a whirl. Have you not? No, I, it's right up your street. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. So, yeah, I think there's I think big the biggest ride I sort of um, uh, before I did the triathlon stuff, we did a, a charity bike ride, which is a three day bike ride. And it was 500 K from Cornwall to London and that was when I kind of like you know suddenly went from like zero to doing a lot of lot of mileage and really badly underprepared underprepared hadn't done hills on the first and then did that classic error of um they gave me a new cycling you know sh um jersey and and shorts and and you guess what I did I actually wore the shorts on the first day and it basically ruined my whole bike ride because I yeah, I just injured myself. It I won't a little do harsh. too much detail. <laughs> yeah. But you never wear you never wear new shorts, do you, on a big bike ride? So when you started then, Lou, were you like just doing it on your own? It's just pure trial and error, or did you have anyone helping you out? Or? Oh no, it was pretty much trial and error. Pwah. Yeah, fair play. Well, now you're part of a club. Now you're part of the Garen Thomas Cycling Club. So anything you need to know. Oh, thank you. I wish I'd been part of this club earlier. I could have asked <laughs> you so many things. What's the stuff that's most surprised you, Louise? Because I remember, I think it was the first time that my, my partner was sort of all right with the bib shorts. She was familiar with the bib shorts. And when you walk around the kitchen in your kit and your cleats before you go out to get your bike, 
I think the horrific moment for her was when she realised what chamois cream is and the physical position you might adopt whilst applying it. <laughs> well, the most the, for me uh, on that on the the big bike ride uh, when I'd worn the shorts and basically you know had a fit. Of a problem I became had to become best friends with the paramedics and every time we'd stop they go Louise do you want the Vaseline <laughs> I mean you know it was <laughs> it was it was mortifying really mortifying um uh, the other thing I've got really good at is you know, all that you know I'm not really good at it but um I kind of learned you know if you're going to do Ironman distance um you also need to know a bit about your bike and how to put it together a bit and stuff like that which I had no idea about and I remember um quite early on when I'd be I, you know you're forever having to fix stuff aren't you and sort things out and but I remember quite early on my husband was like he said I'm not going to help and I was like I know, you, I know, I know. And I know it's a good reason why you're not going to help because if I'm on the mountain on my own, I'm on my own, yeah. aren't I? I've got to be able to take the wheel off or whatever it is. Yeah, no, that's true. To be fair, I don't even do that though. I probably, for, I've probably forgotten no, you to don't, do it do now. You? I just give it to a mechanic. <laughs> he gives me another bike, yeah. <laughs> uh, you just go, give me a new, oh, just sort it. Oh yeah, yeah. oh to be you, eh? <laughs> I think that's the single nicest thing about being an elite rider, Louise, is that exactly that, that Gene doesn't have to clean his bike like we do. He doesn't worry about getting the mud off his chain or anything like that. He just lobs <laughs> it at Gary or one of the other mechanics. Didn't you once put olive oil on your chain, G? Yeah. Isn't that how desperate you are? You don't even, you don't even have proper bike oil in the house. You stuck a load of <laughs> a load of uh, first-press virgin olive oil on yours. That's another thing. Nobody tells you, apart from I turned up at a, a triathlon and everybody's like, oh my God, your bike's so dirty. And I was like... <laughs> And is that a problem? I never knew you, you know, I never cleaned my hybrid bike, did I? That's blood, sweat and tears on that frame. Yeah, yeah. That used to be a thing uh, when we were kids, though, actually, as juniors and stuff. If we ever went away on a race or training camp, we had to have a clean bike. Otherwise, yeah, we'd be out there cleaning it after dinner before the race. Yeah. What bike are you on now, um, then? If your hybrid was your first and you had a road bike, because you know what it's like once you get into cycling. It's amazing. Not only how many bikes you can get, but the justification you can give both to yourself and your loved ones why you need another one. Well, the trouble is, there's, yeah, there's, there's two that I, I, I need <laughs> now. So at the moment I have, uh, have my Kona, uh, which I, was the first bike, my road bike, and, I, and it's downstairs in the cellar. And it seemed actually, it's really interesting because I'm sure it's kind of a little bit too, it feels too small for me now. I don't know why, but I love it. And I'm going to keep it because I'm hoping that the teenagers one day will, would want to ride it. I've only, I've only got three bikes. That's okay, isn't it? I've got my um, my original bike, uh, which is a Live Envy that I used to do the GB stuff on. And that was kind of like, it's really good over short distances. So when I was doing the uh, the short, tri- you know, the, the shorter triathlons, the sprint triathlons, about 25k, it's really good. I used to love that bike because it was fast on short distances. And then to do the mountains, I've got a Langma, a Live Langma, which I absolutely adore. Adore. And I, oh, it sounds ridiculous. I can't believe... I have to be quiet because they're listening. <laughs> but I adore my bike. But I feel bonded with that bike because we, and it's not a person I know, have done Norseman and Patagon Man and we've been places together and I feel like bonded in a way to that bike that is ridiculous, really. Do you feel like that about any of your bikes or not? Uh, Either of you? No, you don't care. You just get... No, to be fair, I, I kept the one that I won that I rode in the tour. Yeah. And I've also actually, I got my dad... Um, I was like, oh, do you mind just going in the attic and just seeing what's up there? Like, because we're just making a bit of a gym now and I'm going to have a bit of memorabilia there. 
And uh, fortunately, my bike that I won the Junior Worlds on was still there, which is a long time ago now because I'm getting on. Um, but it was back in 2004, so my, the frame I actually raced on is still there. So that was pretty cool just to see that again, yeah. So because I'm not very sentimental. Well, I wasn't, but then now I'm like, oh, yeah, it's nice to have kept some stuff throughout the years, you know, a jersey from every team. And I've got most of them, but... Um, have you? Oh, that's nice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I do, I mean... I'm so ridiculous. I just, you know, obviously you have proper <laughs> jerseys and medals, but I mean, I just, I just like med. I mean, Patagon man, the main reason I finished that race, and I, in fact, that's how I got through. I just remember now how I got through that 130k mess up was because I'd seen the medal <laughs> and I wanted it. <laughs> it was like, it's massive. It's, 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 it's huge and really heavy and like it had a brilliant ribbon. Genuinely pathetic but that's why i finished the race oh fair play whatever whatever gets you through so have you is it all been pure road for you louise have you because in the gtcc i represent the sort of those of us who like mountain biking a little bit cyclocross and stuff like that so hearing hearing your adoration for bikes and you're living not far from north wales you know my maybe my suggestion would be for, the, for your next adventure in bikes would be getting yourself a cheeky mountain bike getting up to coidland degler or coidy brennan so that's really close to where i am yeah, well, a lot of fun on those bikes. So, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take out of this podcast. I'm gonna go and go in and take. I'm gonna get somebody to take me and actually learn and do a mountain bike ride. How's that? Yeah, great show. Sweet. That's exactly the actually we want in the GTCC. Yes, good job. I'm not sure it goes very well. I mean, I don't know. Do they have lots of people like me doing that doing that sort of thing? I mean, I didn't think that I could be a cyclist. So. Yeah, no, it's a bit like skiing. So, a mountain bike, your purpose built mountain bike course will have sort of like your black run or I don't know what they actually call it, but you know, your technical ones. And then obviously the, the easier ones to build up to it. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't do the, the hard loop first. Cause there can be some pretty steep, rocky technical sections, but no, it's, it's, it's different as well. It's um, especially if the weather's bad. So now, for instance, if you're a fair weather cyclist, at least mountain biking, you do stay a lot warmer. Cause it's basically up even when you're going down is slow, you know, it's not like riding the road. So it's an option. I'm good on the downhills on the roads. The the, the uphills are the hard bit for me. I'm quite fearless on the downhill. Not like not quite like you. What's your have, have you got obsessed with your your top speed ever, Louise? You know, like when you're when you've got your Garmin on or whatever your sport watch is, and then you've gone down a particular descent, you've thought that felt a little bit spicy, and then you've just checked your watch afterwards for your maximum speed. And you've gone, oh my goodness. I'm a bit embarrassed. I did do, there was one, um, I did um, the uh, sprint triathlon, I think it was in Portugal, in Lisbon, and there's a massive um, dual carriageway, isn't there? Have you done that ride? There's a huge, with a a massive um, downhill on it, and I did go quite, I think it was about 65 or 70k. Fair play. That's That's quite a good idea. I have no idea. No, that's, that's fast. That's good going. It felt good. Yeah. I remember what I was doing one race in Switzerland, the quickest I've ever been was just over 100k an hour. And because in Swiss, the big, wide, smooth, nice roads straight down. But yeah, I did look down and see there was like, well, triple figures. And I was just like, we're in a bunch now. There's like a hundred odd of us. I was like, there could be anything in the road. Like, this is pretty crazy, really. And I did start slow. I did touch the brakes a bit then, to be fair. Did you? Yeah, yeah. That's another thing Chris Hoy told me. Don't touch the brakes. That's because he's not used to having them. Don't listen to him. I told you. (laughs) Anything he says, do the opposite. <laughs> That's a very good point. I didn't think about that at the time. But um, no, yeah, like... hundred a yeah. 100k, wow. Yeah, it was mid-stage as well. So it's like, there's a time and a place to take real risks. Like, this was okay, though. 
But yeah, now over the years, I've certainly learned to sort of just take your time most of the time. And then obviously what if the, if you're in for the win or whatever, then you can take the risks, you know, all in then. But yeah. It is amazing though, isn't it, Louise, with cycling? Like, you know, you've, you've, you've made this incredible journey from doing your six mile commute and then you're getting the train home to these epic rides um, in South America and in, in Norway and places like that. It's amazing. I think for all of us who do cycling, what you can push your body to do and how, whether it's the speed that we talk about there on a descent, whether it's the distance, whether it's the terrain you do, that you can actually always find a way to keep going. For me, it's that that ability to get from one place and go very, very far just on your own little, you know, your own two legs is is immensely kind of empowering. Yeah, definitely. I remember when I was a kid, actually, that's what really got me into cycling as well. It was just that freedom to just go further. Like when you're a kid, like you, you can only walk so far, can't even run with your mates. But at least on a bike, you can, like in Cardiff, we were in Birch Grove. And if we went like North Cardiff, Lisbane, and then into the lanes there, we were like, Phew. We are so far from home here. This is mad, you know. Like, and it's like two or three miles, but yeah, it's just that freedom that the cycling gives you. And as you said earlier, it's everything you get to see and experience as well. And I think you know, it's definitely there's that, and there's also, of course, for me again, you know, the adrenaline of it as well. It's so, and it's so far removed. So when I'm cycling, I'm not thinking about. I'm just thinking about what I'm doing. I'm not thinking about, you know, I'm not worrying about work or worrying about what the news headlines are. For me, it's kind of really just takes me into a completely different space of freedom that I don't, you know, have. And, you know, all of us can access that, can't we? Yeah. So how often would you ride then a week, would you say? Average? Well, at the moment, because <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've had an injury. So oh, before, course, yeah. before I did Norseman, which was a very long time ago now. I um I was training. I was ran, ran up and down Snowdon. Well, slowly, but just bear in mind I do everything very slowly. <laughs> and then I finished. And you know what it's like when you're on your bike ride, you, you, you or you run or whatever. Finished. Turned off my Garmin. You know, literally run over. Brilliant. Uh, tripped over the curb and twisted oh, no my way. ankle. <gasps> I was oh my gosh. And I knew when I did it. My husband had said to me, "Don't go on that." don't go up Snowden today. You're just going to injure yourself, right? So I went over. I was like, oh, that's really bad. Obviously couldn't admit how bad it was. And I couldn't walk. It went, you know, it was hugely swollen. I, it was, I think it was about a month before Norseman basically just sort of pretended it wasn't nearly as bad as it was. Did stop running, did Norseman, did various other ridiculous things um, and eventually went to the doctor a year and a half later to find out I'd snapped a ligament and no. broke my foot. What you did? Hang on. Blimey. So you did the whole of Norseman with that? Louise, that is ludicrous. Fair play. Yeah. I think I've done four marathons with it. What? Gee, I, look, I people are impressed by <laughs> G finishing the tour with a, with a broken pelvis. I am impressed by him doing that. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. Anyway, so the long story short is that it's now, I finally went to the doctor and they told me what, what was wrong and it had it operated on about, I think it's three months ago now and I can't do any running. So I'm on, I've been on Zwift four, five, six times a week in the last three months and really enjoyed it actually. And I can't, I can't be out on the roads on the, on the, on my, because I can't take my foot out of the cleat, can't turn my foot yet. So I'm sort of, I'm going to spend a lot of time on my indoor bike. Wow. We should say here, Louise, that um, you were slightly and we felt uncharacteristically late to join us on this episode of the podcast. So where were you for that first 15 minutes? That first 15 minutes, I timed it, I thought, beautifully. I obviously misread in my head <laughs> the messages from G and I was on Zwift 
because I, I just, you know, I, I love riding Zwift and I'm kind of currently I'm badge hunting on Zwift and I was doing a particular route. So <laughs> your lovely producer, Louise, phoned me and I've been thinking, oh, I, I, I genuinely got all the time mixed up. And I was thinking, well, I, you know, they'll just find me. I'm on Zwift. And guess what? She did find me and I was on Zwift and I do apologise, but I did get my badge. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have to come and join our club rides as well. I will. When are they? They're Wednesdays, aren't they? They're Wednesdays at six o'clock. On okay. the dot. <laughs> okay. And I know, so you're at the front. Tom, Tom where are you? You're in the middle I'll, and, I'll and Louise produces it. That's it, yeah. At the back. Yeah, but, uh, you know, all speeds, if you want to have a super fast 50 minutes or so, Louise, and you want to, you know, sit on G's wheel or G can sit on your wheel at the front, that's fine. If you want to cruise with me in the middle. <laughs> I've seen G on Zwift for about one second. <laughs> <laughs> and what would your tips be, Louise, for, for someone who might be listening to this and either they're totally new to cycling, they've watched it but they've never tried it, or maybe someone who's just started out their journey. What would your, your tips be? Um, my tips would be, first of all, this can literally, you know, I've gone from a hybrid six miles commute to doing these distances, which are, you know, quite far. And I just think, try it. You just, you know, don't be, that's that's the thing. It can, it can be intimidating. Let's face it. I mean, you probably, you two aren't intimidated by it, but I've turned up, I was listening to your podcast about TTs. I've turned up at a time trial. I mean, honestly, obviously I came last, but (laughs) I went there and I did it. Um, So, you know, there are lots of, there's lots of, as a woman, there's lots of places you can look like, for example, there's, you know, there's Facebook places, there'll be clubs. Um, I'm part of it. I do a podcast called Her Spirit and that's, you know, really trying to get people involved at all different levels so I would you know try it and and find your find your club you know if you want to be in part of this club or whatever it is find somewhere that will adopt you because we're all really passionate about it aren't we we all want to share our knowledge and actually it might look intimidating but I bet you if you turned up anywhere and said oh what's that you know people just want to open up about it so yeah just get out there and give it a go and go I mean most people have a local cycling club and I just defy anybody to be to turn up and you know be turned turned down I mean I say it can look intimidating, but just pick beneath the surface and it's not and go and give it a go. It's just, you know, it's so exhilarating. And I just find it really, um, it's made my life much more kind of relaxed, actually, because I've got, I do something that I love. I spend a lot of time doing it and it gives me, you know, in other parts of my life, it de-stresses me. That's about 10 million things, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, Lou, before you took up cycling then, did you do anything endurance wise or? No, no. So I think it just goes to show, doesn't it? It's just mental as much as anything else as well. Like you, you can just do so much. So I think much. it, and it th- mentally, it really makes you really resilient. You know, I'm super resilient now, and it's not just the cycling. It's, it's the, you know, sometimes if I'm really nervous, I think about that cold, deep, dark water with orcas and think, right, I've got through that everything's going to be fine. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? And and in Norseman, when I got in a sort of similar position of, you know, deep into the race and up this, I remember up this, the the first hill took me two and a half hours. Wow. (laughs) It was 1,250 metres or something. Anyway, it wouldn't have taken you that long. But you just, you know, like uh, at the top of the hill, my husband was there with my daughter and my dad and grown men were getting to the top of that hill and crying. (laughs) <laughs> and they were like oh my oh. gosh what is going to arrive and I arrived at the top of the hill laughing my head off and singing so I just <laughs> think you learn from it and you learn resilience and you learn determination and you learn that you know when you're in a sticky situation you know if you just just keep going just keep on turning the pedals you can get through stuff and actually that's kind of relevant for where we are now as well 
this is really hard and we're kind of like at hopefully towards the end of the race now but this is when you need to keep going and and rely on all the stuff you've done before mm. so yeah it's it's, te- it's teaching me lots of things i've loved it but no i've did nothing before <laughs> pretty much <laughs> well louise it's been brilliant having you on the gtcc G, if i think we should look i know i'm your amateur friend i think we should open this position slightly uh, wider and make louise uh, an official amateur friend of the gtcc oh. most definitely can I volunteer to be in charge of snacks? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, what snacks are you bringing then, Lou? Well, you see, that's the whole thing about the extra is that we have to, you know, there's no, there's nobody choosing the snacks. You get to choose your snacks and, you know, they have to, your support has to carry them for you. So I, what we have, we have real food, right? I'm really not into gels and stuff because I just, over that kind of 16 nice. hours or however long it takes, I can't have gels so yeah we have we'll have all kinds of sandwiches every kind we'll have marmite we'll have ham we'll have cheese we'll have uh peanut butter yeah yeah you in yeah marmite and cheese would be good yeah we can have marmite i do have marmite and cheese sometimes sometimes cheese and ham it doesn't really matter i have like a super selection is that are we in are you okay with that yeah Yeah. i'm sold i'm sold Uh, cashew nuts salted cashew nuts oh yeah even better and always snickers (sighs) good choice Okay. I th- I'd say Snickers is one of my favourite chocolate bars, actually. So yeah, is it? Yeah, it's an endurance bar, I think. <laughs> anyway, if I get, can I be in charge of snacks? That's all I want to be in charge of. Hundred percent. You're in. Thank Cheers, you. Lou. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Great oh, to chat. Thank you for letting me talk about something I clearly love. Tom, it's that time again. Your Zwift update. How's it going, mate? Yeah, do you know what I noticed this week, G? So I've been out on the actual real-life roads a bit, and I've noticed that that thing that you're forced to do on a smart trainer when you're riding on Zwift, which is constantly pedalling, has moved into my real-world pedalling, which has got to be a good thing. There's been less cruising. There's been less... You know when you're going along and you use the excuse that you need to stretch your calves and you sort of stand up on the pedals a little bit? Those, Those days are a thing of the past. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's true though isn't it like an hour on Zwift is worth at least an hour and a half hour 45 on the road so yeah good on it definitely definitely well if you fancy giving Zwift a try just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial and of course you do that you can also join our club ride every Wednesday at 6pm everyone's welcome right Tom let's finish this pod with any other business Who's joining the GTCC committee this week? Right, G, first up, I'm going to appoint a director of logistics. Matthew Ship has got in touch to say, as I've been a train driver for 30 years, I feel I'm the ideal candidate to fill this position. The cherry on the cake is I can arrange local pickup at the riders' local stations. Plus, think of all the room for the bikes. Now, G, you'll be a bit more familiar with this scenario than me. How important is a director of logistics for a cycling club or team? Twice. Well, in a team like ours, Ineos Grenadiers, is massively important. For instance, there could be three teams racing at the same time. So that's obviously for at least four or five cars at each race, the buses. You know, every rider has their like wet bag, which is their bad weather clothing that travels with the team the, the riders don't travel with them so that needs to be arranged you know helmets and just flying riders in and out of the race you know local airports you know pickups well oh, all that type of stuff you know and then there's everything's going on people might be going to the wind tunnel they might be recons training camps oh, yeah very 
important job. It sounds like one of those nightmarish jobs where if you're doing a really good job, no one notices. And as soon as you make the slightest error, it might be the only error you make all year, everyone thinks you're a massive bellend. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like when you get that flight through and you're like, why have I got this flight? There's, there's definitely a better one. And then you go and search on Skyscanner and there is, and then you send that on. And yeah, it's got to be a nightmare for them because they're booking like 30-odd flights a week. Well, more probably. So uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a tough job. But I reckon I'd be quite good at that though. I don't yeah. want to do it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm leaving this to um, Matthew. But yeah, very important job. Nice. Okay. Next up, we've had another application for the club broom wagon. So we've already got Mark Griffiths for this, but Andy Hamilton says he listens to the pod while delivering for MS, and he'd like to be our broom wagon if Mark is off sick, which is a nice touch. He also says he'd make a good mascot because his army reports suggest he wasn't much good at anything apart from boosting troop morale. Also, gee, his nickname in the army was Boo Boo. He doesn't explain why. <laughs> uh, he hasn't really sold himself there, has he? But <laughs> but to be fair, yeah, I think boosting morale, that's what you need in the broom wagon. And he's, he seems a nice chap as well, you know. He's not after Mark's job, but he's only after the replacement. But um, to me, that shows a bit of lack of ambition, though. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, yeah, fair enough. Let's get him on. Okay, and then finally, we've got a bit of competition here to be our head of youth development. Now... We did suggest in a previous episode that your wife, Saar, might like to do this. And then she suggested that she might not want to do this. And then we've got Katie, who's looking after our junior development. But both Stanley Kent and David Ryan want to help her, which is a nice touch. Stanley's asked to be our youth secretary without actually giving any info on his qualifications. So, so Stanley, that's great, but maybe get back in touch with your credentials. And then David says he's a development coach for British Cycling and has asked to be our track coach and head of youth development. Seems like a decent appointment, that one, G. Yes, very wise. I think he, he'll certainly know what he's doing, working at British Cycling. So, quality, they're in. Perfect. OK, should we do some shout-outs to finish? Yeah, so uh, I've got one here from Kieran, who's just started his own YouTube channel. He's documenting his training as he progresses into racing and time trial in this year. So go and check out Kieran Graham Cycling, if you fancy following that. And maybe get some tips for your own training. Nice. And Paul Stobbs, who at one point, G, was our official book recommender. I can't remember if we upgraded into librarian or archivist. But anyway, Paul has come through with a book recommendation, which is great. He says the book to read for April is The Race to Truth by Emma O'Reilly, who just happens to be our social secretary. Ah, one big happy family, isn't it? Perfect. Right, we'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Matthew Shipp, Andy Hamilton, Stanley Kent and David Bryant. To our head of social media, Fionn Clark, our head of music, Emma Hickman, our treasurer, Diane Barker, and our honorary president, Mike Carr. And of course, as always, most of all, to you, our fellow GTCC club members, for listening. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.